언론 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 Welcome back to the third and final part of our interview with Tanner Combius. We've talked about his past, what his attitude has been about money, how he learned to save and budget money. This is a guy who spent two years living off solely savings while playing tennis at professional academies and traveling to over 14 countries. It's safe to say Tanner Combius knows a little bit about saving money and budgeting money. So if you're interested in how to do those things, if you're interested in how to take this crazy leap of faith to do the next thing, or maybe to see that's not really that crazy. If you have a plan, you're going to want to stick around for this episode. And if you're interested in hearing more about his backstory, about his experience with corporate America, also in world travel, you're going to want to go back and check out episodes one and two of this interview. But Tanner, I want to talk about Hostelmate. Okay, so Hostelmate is this entrepreneurial endeavor you pursued that, as you mentioned previously, this is really something that combines your experience with something that you felt like was missing from the hostel experience. As you pointed out, you've been to over 70 hostels in 14 countries. I think people can see you're very goal-driven and it's obvious to me that you have a plan when you're doing things. When did you start thinking about creating this business? What is it that you think is the value of this service? Walk us through that process and how you've been preparing it and implementing it. Maybe any updates you're willing to give us on how it's going. Yeah, sure. Sure, Peter. Uh, so I, after traveling, yeah, and I guess it's already been three years since I, I left my job at PwC, which is actually insane. I mean, it was a year, a close to a year of tennis and close to a year of traveling and then kind of a year that I've been back already, which is insane. Uh, so I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and I wasn't ready to go back to, to corporate. And and I, I'm always writing down business ideas and coming up with new ones. I have a whole list. And developing an app always seemed exciting to me. And I learned about some some no-code software where you could make apps without using coding. And I thought, let me see what this is about. And I, I started researching it and learning about it. And then it was at the top of my list was, what have I recently experienced that I can build an app on? I was like, well, that's 70 hostels. Let's, let's do this. And I really want to see, I mean, it's an amalgamation of a bunch of things. Like, I really want to see hostels thrive. I, I want them to do well. And I think that this will improve the hostel experience helping people connect with each other. And then it's also, it just aligns so well with me and what I'm passionate about. I mean, how cool would it be if I could just travel and visit hostels and talk about my app? And, and I mean, it doesn't get any better. So I don't know if it's going to work out, but if it does, it'd be pretty cool. So what, what other things that I know we talked about on, on the second episode about what it does, just high level, basically... The guest arrives at the hostel, selects the hostel that they're staying at from a drop-down menu, puts in the password that they've been given for that specific hostel, and then they have access to that hostel's app. Instead of that hostel having to build their own app, you know, they can sign for this hostel mate. And one tab is list out all the activities that they offer at the at the hostel. So sometimes I visit hostels. I visit this amazing hostel in uh, Bariloche, Argentina. 
and it was a penthouse. It was literally in an apartment building in the top with the best view of the city, better than any hotel. And they had great activities on the lakes and the mountains. And there was, I remember there was this white binder that was this thick binder on the front desk of all the activities. And we were all waiting our turn to see what they offered. And I thought it was absurd. You know, I thought in my app, I'll create a way that hostels can easily put in all the activities they offer. And wait, why can't, why can't you sign up for the activity and add yourself to a list through the app? So I added that feature. I really like that feature. It's a great way to raise more revenue from the hostel because they make a lot of their money off of the activities they offer. And then, you know, there's another page that's just basic details of the hostel, ways to get in contact with them, ways to extend their stay all through the app. So that's the, that's the premise. You're trying to basically create a one-stop shop for anybody who would be staying at that particular hostel. And the hostel there buy-in needs to be that they're willing to use the app that you provide, basically. That's right. And there's no other app that is currently out there. I mean, I'm afraid someone's going to, you know, take... take (laughs) Poaching your ideas, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for booking-wise, you know the drill. Like, it's hostelworld.com or booking or maybe a go to... Like, you're pretty much using two or three sources. So this isn't a booking app. It's, It's, you know, it's made to enhance the guest experience at a hostel. So you're right. I need to convince hostel owners then it's a good value proposition to offer this. And I think everyone I talk to, all the travelers, they're on board. They're like, let's go. This is awesome. I would have loved to be able to do this. And it's just convincing the owners. And it's tough because, you know, COVID right now. So, yeah. But it's been a fun journey so far. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot too. You've actually built out the app to make it functional. I don't know how much you want to talk about the specifics of how it's been going. When I heard you say this idea to me, I was like, yeah, no, I would love to have that when I go to a hostel because then I don't have to go to the front desk and look at the whiteboard and wonder if that's still going on today or whatever. And like, what is the pricing up to date or how do I pay and who's actually going, right? You might be okay with going canyoneering by yourself, but somebody else might go, well, you know, if a bunch of other people were going, I'd be more likely to go. You're trying to get the hostel owner to buy in. Can you tell us a little bit about what has it been like for you? I mean, you touched on it a little bit there that the events are part of what make the money. So you've had to do research on that. What, what, what have you done to kind of, I don't know, prepare your pitch or, you know, what have been some of the setbacks for you or? Yeah. So, I mean, it hasn't gone great yet. I don't think I should give up. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about marketing campaigns through emails. My connections that I forged through my travels have been very helpful. It's very tough right now with COVID. People just aren't willing to try new things, even if they're for free. You know, in Australia, I spoke to a very nice owner and, you know, there's no travel between states. So they don't have the money right now and they don't even really want to try it for free for a couple of months because if they get hooked, they're going to have to pay the money and they don't even want to look at anything. So it's been really tough. And I've also experienced a little difficulty with there are ups and downs I'm learning, you know, where someone commits and they're like, oh, this is a great idea, I'm in. And then all of a sudden they ghost, they go, they go, they go dark and you message them on your response and you want to know, you know, a simple message from them saying, I'm not no longer interested, you'd be fine with. But then you go from this meeting where you're giving high fives to everyone because you just hooked a fish, you got, got a couple of hostels on board and now they're not responding. So I'm kind of in this weird stage where like five hostels or six hostels are have literally yeah, up and down, like they've been, I mean, I'm telling you like emails that are like, I'm 
it to suddenly disappearing. So I don't think I should give up, but... Um, it's been frustrating, sounds like. Yeah, it's been frustrating. I biked around New York and I stopped at houses. I didn't even know there were that many houses in New York. And There's got to be a million because people from Europe and Asia and everywhere else wants to go to, wants to, go to New York. It's the yeah, spot. Yeah, there are definitely fewer than most cities um, just because it's such an expensive city. To your point, there are definitely more than expected. And even New York that's open right now for COVID, a lot of them were shuttered. A lot of them weren't open or barely had any guests and weren't that interested because of that. So I was surprised even New York that's open. So I'm like, okay, Tanner, calm down. Like just because it hasn't worked two months doesn't mean this is a bad idea. I still think that there's immense potential. Especially because like you said, travel has yet to pick back up. Business owners are going to be wary of investing money in something when they've been bleeding money for a while. It's a good idea that has unfortunate timing, perhaps. But I'm excited to see what you do with it. And I know you've been pouring a lot of energy into it. So perhaps maybe this is how we can segue. If you look at it from a clearly like, did it work? Did it not work perspective right now? It's a failure. Well, I You don't look I at it that way though. No, definitely not. Uh, I definitely don't consider it a failure. I made it a, I, I formed a company. It's an LLC. I, I was, I'm not giving up on it yet. It's definitely not a failure. It's not, it's definitely not a success. I'm trying to take wins from it, right? Like A, a there's still time for this to work. There's a huge market. It's a niche market. I think I have a good product. I'm not giving up. B, hey, what can I use from this? I can write off certain expenses in my apartment because all I do in this second apartment is work on hostel me. Okay, maybe I coop some of the capital expenditures that I put into this business. So it's 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 learning that stuff and and trying to improve. Uh, I built I built everything myself. So this week I actually I don't want to go into my my newest app, but I was like, hey, I learned all this. While I'm sitting on hostel mate, which is you know my front runner and I love leverage what I've learned and work on a similar idea applied somewhere else. When you say it's a failure, I know you're saying. Yeah, no, I I didn't mean to say it that way. I just mean there's a lot that has not gone according to plan, and there's maybe a fear or a tendency to say it's not working, it's not doing what I wanted it to do. And taking that as kind of a negative thing. But I believe, I've been reading so much about entrepreneurship and resilience and, you know, listening to other um, more successful people talk about these things. And reality of the matter is there's, there's no such thing as a good idea until you try it and see if it's good or not. And there's no way to know if something's going to be a success or a failure until you take action. Oftentimes, something that didn't actually succeed the way that you expected it to still leads to your future success. So in talking about the things you've learned from and how you're applying it to the next thing, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. What have you learned from the difficulties you've been running into with Hostelmate to improve on your marketing going forward or whatever else? Yeah, it's a good question. And you're right. You, you can't give up when you're starting a business, even if you have lots of ups and downs. You know, that seems so obvious, but I've learned that where like I'll get an email and it's like I'm in and it's it's from the hostel in India and it's 1130 at night and I can't sleep. because I'm like, I, I did it. And then the next day they don't respond to any emails. And you're like, was this, were they playing? I'm learning that you got to knock that off. You got to be what they say, a goldfish and, and have the shortest memory and, and, not, and not even think about it and just keep going. 
because you're right, it's going to lead, it's going to lead to, it's going to either work or you're going to use something on the next idea and that one's going to work. Yeah. Because you tried it on the first one. Exactly. Yeah. I just read the autobiography of Jim Henson, which is awesome. Awesome story. I only think of the Muppets when I think of Jim Henson, but he's the reason why we have animatronics at right, all. Right, right. You know, some of the biggest movies in the 1970s, 80s were because of the technology he invented. And a lot of what he did was always just pushing the envelope to the next thing. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I got from the book was that a lot of his critical failures came right before a huge critical success. And they worked because he literally had an R&D department for how he made stuff. You know what I mean? Like he had people literally making things that no one had ever made before, like remote controlled puppets and things. There's literally one time when he built an entire swimming pool and then he put live trees and moss and stuff on top of it to try to make it look like a swamp. And then he built a cage that went underwater that he could stay inside with a breathing apparatus that went out of it so that he could stick his arm up and out of this concrete submerged structure to control Kermit the Frog so that you could have a live Muppet being controlled in the water in a swamp. And it's stuff that's like, how did he do that? And you read the book and you're like, that's crazy. He's in this tiny little box underwater so that he can do that. And there's so much stuff he did like that. And I loved it because it kind of really cemented for me how much that doesn't work unless the thing he tried before it was crazy ambitious and fell flat a little, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like that. That's very cool. I should read that. Um, yeah. It's a great, it's a great book. I'll, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes for you. There's a couple of books I would definitely recommend. I want to yeah. ask you a question. There's yeah, a lot of risk and creativity associated with startups. And as you even mentioned prior, accountants aren't exactly known for their personalities or for their risk-taking, I would say. So how do you balance being practical versus taking risks, especially with this business you're trying to do? Yeah, you're right. And it's bizarre living in New York City, in Manhattan, and not having a real job. Yeah, that's crazy to me. It gives me anxiety yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, it gives me anxiety thinking about it as well when I'm doing it. So, <laughs> and it's not my character, right? Because I was always seeing, and now I'm spent. All I'm doing is spending and spending and spending. But um, I, I can do it, right? Like, so I I quit my job. I saved my money. I had this goal: tennis, travel, and have X amount of money left over so that I wouldn't have to just go back, right? And because the market was so good and because COVID happened, I couldn't travel to some of the places that I plan on traveling to that were more expensive, whatever. I have more money now than I had when I quit, which is just absurd. I don't really understand it. But Wait, hang on a second. I want to let that ruminate a little bit. You quit three years ago from your job. Right. You haven't had a traditional job since other than maybe working as a farmer in New Zealand for a month. And you have more money now than you did when you left. That's correct. I mean, I will say that I have made a little money here and there with like the last few months. I've been working on some some other stuff that's been bringing in a little bit of money and and whatnot here and there. But yes, for the most part, you're spot on. I'm pretty much right where I was when I quit. 
And uh, this is just because eight-year-old Tanner was smart enough to be saving and investing his money. Is this literally, is this just the miracle of compound interest? Is that what this is? It, it is a lot of that. And a lot of it is, is uh, having it invested, right, in the market and the market being super strong. I mean, over the last hundred years, the S&P goes up 10% on every year. The last five years it's it's been crazy it's exploded so it's a lot it's a lot it's a luck there but then it's it's the eight-year-old saving every penny so when i was doing all this stuff when i wanted to play tennis and compete i wasn't holding back per se on on things but i wasn't just getting private lessons left and right like right like i was still being smart and like when i traveled and i wanted to do things in slovenia like canyoning as we talked about before like i did them but i didn't just go and do 50 activities in a day and and then go to the bar. Like I thought about things. And because I did that, that money I didn't have to spend was in the market, creating more money and compounding. And so that was really nice. But to go back to it all, like the market, you know, it's never going to continue at that pace. And it's bizarre living in Manhattan now and barely making money and spending more than I make. So it's against me. And I'm willing, I, I can't, because I've saved enough, I feel better taking that risk. Yeah, it it really brings me back to what you said before. You were saving for the freedom to do what you want. And I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And I think it's an amazing segue for the second half of this episode because I think people get it. You've done a lot. You have been able to save money and travel, start a business and live in New York City. Something that people can't even do. But you're like, most people are like, I can't live in New York City. That, that's crazy expensive. Not you're sure doing do it. That. Living <laughs> off of, of index funds, basically, and and smart budgeting. And you've demonstrated what I consider to be a pretty admirable work ethic in doing so. And I want to be able to help people know how they can do the same thing. So in this part of the episode, I want to give our listeners some concrete advice. Maybe they're trying to start a side hustle. Maybe they're just trying to learn how to invest a little smarter or budget a little bit better. Um, but you and I came up with a list of things here and I would love you to add to that if you can. We got about 15 minutes. Before we get into the actionable and practical tips from Tanner Cumbias, I wanted to ask you guys to do me a favor. If you've been enjoying the podcast, there are two things that I would really love from you. Number one, rate and review the podcast on Apple or on Spotify. And number two, follow us on Instagram so you can get updates on the podcast including clips from the episode so you can see who the new interviews are and some highlights from each episode. It's also a great place to reach out to me and let me know which interviews you're vibing with and what you want to hear more of. So if you're enjoying the interview, please head on over to Apple and review it and follow us at Alone with Peter on Instagram. All right, with that, let's get back to Tanner Cumbias and those practical tips so we can make some more money got about 15 minutes where we can just really focus in here. And I don't know if there's a spot that you think would be a great place to start or if you'd like me to just pick one. Yeah, pick one. Uh, go, go ahead with that. What are some of the most common financial traps that you feel people are falling into? Even with my friends, subscriptions are some of the biggest culprits. You know, you sign up for Hulu, Disney Plus, Netflix, uh, and and you know, internet providers, everyone, 
And every month, you, know, you think these expenses are small, but they just accumulate and add up. You know, you really have to think about what you need. And if you're going to pay for something that you don't need, like entertainment, this kind of stuff, how, how important is, is it to you? How much joy does it really bring to you? Because if it does, then you do need to set aside money for that. But do you need them all? Or can you share with your, with, with your friends a subscription? Can you, you know, the classic call up the internet provider and say, hey, I got a better deal down the street. And there's more than 30% chance that they're going to drop your, your monthly rate. Just trying to minimize or reduce your subscriptions, that's a huge trap. How are you factoring in the happiness part of this? What makes it worthwhile or not? What are some questions you're asking yourself? Yeah, right. So I don't know. I have friends who they love movies, right? Like they, there's something about movies that is super important to them. Every week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're, they're watching movies, right? They talk about movies that they go to. They want to share that experience, whatever. In that situation, maybe having access to those movies is super important to them, right? It makes them happy. It's, it's almost their hobby in that regard. So I'm not going to say don't spend money on these subscriptions. But then, you know, it comes back to, do you need subscriptions at all of these places? Are there ways to share with friends? Are they, you know, this one subscription gives you access to this one show. This is the only show that you watch on it. Do, does this, does this, do you really even care about this show or... Is it on the edge? If it's on the edge and you want to save money, cut it. And there you go. You save, you know, five bucks a month. It sounds obvious, but small little things add up. You know, that's a huge one. I subscriptions. Think, yeah, subscriptions. I think, and I'll try to be quick. I know we don't have much time, but I think a huge thing, and I always say in New York is, is going to the bars, putting down your credit card and just paying for drinks, right? A beer costs eight to 10 bucks minimum. You leave a dollar tip. So 11 bucks for a beer. No problem. Do you like beer? Do you enjoy going to bars? If you don't go to the bar, are, are you going to feel like you, you missed out? Can you go to the bar and just use cash, right? If you just use cash at bars, then you know how much you spent walking out that door. Even me, who literally I can walk away from a weekend and say to you, oh, I spent $105 this weekend. I, it's kind of bizarre, but you know most people aren't in that boat. But if you have cash in your wallet, you're going to be a lot less tempted to just, to just get drink after drink because every time it leaves your hand you notice it so that's a, that's i think that's a good one uh i i like going to the bars because i enjoy hanging out with my friends right but i don't even like beer so i go to a bar it's funny i'll get like a sandwich and i'll like <laughs> eat a sandwich with my friends and I'm like i don't feel like i'm missing out i spend like 10 bucks on a sandwich and have <laughs> a glass, right i mean it's different so i'm not i'm not saying peter you should go and buy sandwiches when you go to the bar with your friends but like I walk away and I spent $10 and had a decent healthy meal. Maybe I get a sandwich. I don't know. They spent $85 and uh, they didn't even maybe enjoy that last beer they had. Those are two big traps that definitely stand out to me. What you're talking about is intentionality. Intentionality and in how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what's important to you and what you should be spending money on. So yeah. perhaps you could give some tips for how can I intentionally craft the economic freedom that I want to have. You know, I think that goes hand in hand with some of the financial traps you're talking about, eliminating unnecessary costs. But what are some other ways, whether that's putting aside money in the S&P 500 or, or something else, what are some tips, concrete things we could be doing now and maybe in the priority list that you would give them? 
Yeah, so right now I'm doing some financial advising for a bunch of friends as kind of a side thing. So I'm getting this kind of question a lot. Uh, I, I mean, I, I feel like, like I sound like a broken record, read it in a lot of articles, but obviously like everyone has to have a little cash set aside no matter what. Uh, and you, I read these horror stories of 50% of Americans don't have a savings account for emergency uh, or emergency fund. And, and you definitely want to put aside some money and how much you put aside can be definitely depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, so you, you definitely want to have some money put aside. Um, and, and then like we talked about before, you know, really focusing on what you need. And if, if, if your, if your goal is, Hey, I want to spend less, you know, I need to slash my budget. Like you need to think about what you like, these are the expenses that you currently pay and you need to pay them all. And can you reduce any of these? Like, no, you're already staying at a really inexpensive apartment. There's really no way. So there's nothing you can do here. Right. And then, oh, all this other stuff I'm spending on probably on those beers, probably on the subscriptions, probably on um, some extra material things that you really don't need. Uh, I, I think they, out, they take out or seamless that those, those kill, kill my friends and they don't even notice those add up so easily. Um, so that stuff you can start to take away and really start to save money. Uh, so it's, it's, it's focusing on those needs and those wants. And, but you got to have fun, but like you got to enjoy it. So like, if you, you don't want to, you don't want to, like, you only have one life to live. I think it is really important to make sure that you do buy the things that are important to making you happy. So for me, it was traveling and spending my money on muscles and experiences. So budgeting for the fun things as well then too, though, that sounds like yeah. that's the key is, is you need to be just aware of how much money you have and how much money you can actually spend. I think maybe you could touch on this a little bit, the idea of debt and also credit, because many Americans, I think, have a very lazy and or stupid attitude about how to deal with debt and or credit, because we've been, we haven't been taught, or if we have been taught, we've been taught through merchandising to apply for the credit card so that we can pay for the thing and then pay back later, the thing that we can't afford now. For the person who's like, hey, I want to, I'm, I'm buying what you're putting down, Tanner. I want to have more financial freedom and I want to invest money, but I have debt as well as this budget that I need to follow. How can I yeah. start paying that down in a smart way? What's the priority list? Okay. Well, yeah, you have a lot to unwrap there. Um, yeah. So credit, when the first thing that comes to mind when I when I hear credit and I think they do a terrible job teaching this in school, right? Like I was a finance, I had a finance degree and they didn't even teach us how to like, you know, deal with credit and debt really from a practical way. So first when I think of credit, I think, I think to myself, this is actually a good thing as kids, parents should get their kids on their credit card, you know, have sign up for a credit card and, you know, get them, give them access to it. Maybe they can't even like, Maybe hide it from them and like literally don't let them use their credit card. But establishing a good credit is very important for later on. If you ever want, if you ever want to take a loan or get a mortgage for a house by starting that earlier, you're good to go. But I think what you said there is really important. This whole, you know, spending more than you have and taking out credit card debt is the worst kind of debt, you know, it's it's so enticing sometimes they say that they don't charge you any interest for a certain period of time 
but then they hit you with like 15% a year or something. Um, so you definitely want to stay clear of that. And then sometimes you just have to have debt, right? Like sometimes there's nothing that you could have done. Like you need to take out debt for school. And you, you think to yourself, oh, Tanner, you, like you said, you're, you're giving me all this great need, want stuff, but like I had debt right now. You definitely want like to make that your priority. And it, it sucks. But some of the stuff that you want that does make you happy, this is the time that I'm like, I'm sorry, you have to sacrifice a little bit. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like I'm a drill sergeant, but like you just, you want the freedom. So once you get rid of these things that are holding you down, then you can really have more fun and start to get the things that make you happy. You know, it's a balancing act. Sounds like having the emergency savings is important. Maybe yeah. priority one, just in case something happens right now that I have to pay for right now, I have that money. Yeah. Step two would be paying down your debt and then being smart about what you're paying down first, right? If you have a higher interest rate on something, pay that off before the other thing, as long as the principle is similar to the balance. When it comes to, okay, I'm, I'm, I've started eliminating my debt. Have you ever heard about, uh, you have heard about debt stacking. What do you think about debt stacking? The idea that like, let's say I have $100 of credit card debt and now I've paid off the $100 of credit card debt. Now that money that I've been budgeting for that credit card debt goes on the student loan debt plus whatever I was already paying. So it's $100 plus whatever I was budgeting for that. So it's $150 a month, let's say. Then I pay down that one. Now that's $150 plus whatever I was budgeting on the third piece of debt. Is that kind of the, the process? Eliminate all debt and then invest and then build yeah, additional I mean, streams of money? I mean, it's a tough question because it's not... Okay, it, Yes, as, as, a, as a theory, like most people, I'm going to say that's the way to go, right? You want to get your highest yield debt. Like I know that some people talk about the snowball effect where like you pay off a few small loans, you get victories and you feel better and it forces you to pay off other stuff. And maybe that does get push you, but ultimately what it comes down to is pay off your higher interest first, get rid of it, give yourself some more financial freedom and flexibility. But when, when, it, when you start to get deeper into the finance of it, like we can get a little bit more picky. Like if you're saying to me, I have a mortgage and I'm paying 2.5% on this mortgage and all of a sudden I come into money, should like you said, Tanner, you said you should pay off your debt first and this is considered debt. I'm like, no, no, wait a second here. Like we got to take everything into account here. We got to get the picture. Um, our, wait, what is our financial stability? How much money are we making? Because then I'm thinking you just came into money in the market, you're definitely going to get more than 2.5% in the long term. So I don't necessarily want to pay back that 2.5%. If right it's now. low enough interest, I might want to invest it for the long yeah, term because sure. I'm going to get a lot more than 2.5% back. Yeah. Maybe so 8%, 10%. You, yeah, you got to take a, a few things into account. And also you have to take into account human nature and human behavior and the person you're speaking to. So like if you have a rule, it's like, yeah, you need an emergency, you need an emergency fund, three to six months of what you're going to spend. Yeah. Yeah. You pay down your debt first, no matter what, but you can take into a bunch of different account, things into account. Um, and a lot of it has to do with your job stability and uh, how, how rigorous you are in, and in following through with, with your, if you give yourself certain, certain deadlines, like, are you going to continue to pay off that debt? 
when you can. If you if you took that money that I just gave you and invested it instead of paying off debt, are you still gonna like be constantly thinking about that debt you have? Is it gonna is it gonna hinder you from from doing other things that you want to do? Like you need to take into account other things. But I think from a high perspective, I love the fact of getting rid of the debt that, that you can, uh, especially if the rate is high, higher than five, higher than percent. This is all really actionable stuff and it's all, it seems so simple and so obvious to do, but it takes a lot of discipline and delayed gratification to mm. do. So I'm trying to think, I would love to ask you more questions about those things actually, but maybe we should finish more with this question. Okay, Tanner, I've been doing a good job eliminating debt. I know what my budget is for my needs. And I'm trying to set myself up for some more economic freedom so mm -hmm. I can budget for a better life. What are your thoughts on establishing side hustles or additional streams of money or, or investing in the S&P? What are smart things for people to be considering when it comes to that kind of stuff? I'm operating my own business, but at a very slow pace because of my debt situation. And yet I'm also working another job to help finance my immediate expenses. And sometimes I find myself just frustrated by how long it takes mm -hmm. to get the ball rolling on things because I don't have money and I'm unwilling to spend money that I don't have. I've made that a conscious choice, but it makes things happen much slower. I just wonder if there's things people can be doing once their debt has been eliminated, but they're just not making very much and they want to set themselves up for more freedom. What should they be doing? Well, I love, first off, I love that you're willing to spend more than you, you make. Uh, I think that's, that's huge. And two, I love side hustles. I know you had mentioned that. Like, why not? Like, why, why not try to find other ways to make money? The only way to get rich is to make money when you're sleeping, right? So I, I love those things. But, okay, I, I think it comes down to this. In your situation, in Peter's situation, if you wanted, what are your priorities, right? If your priority was, I want more financial freedom. That is the most important thing in my life. I want to be able to buy things that I can't afford right now. I know that's not the situation where that's like the, old, the number one priority for you. And it's not me either, right? Because I wouldn't be, I would be that corporate American. But if that was your number one priority, then I would say, all right, you need to get five to six jobs right now. You've already budgeted. You cut your needs. You, you barely, barely spend any money on anything else. And you want more freedom? It's not, it sounds stupid, but like, okay, now you need to go down to the corner. You need to get a job at the coffee shop. You need to get a job there. You need to get a job at the car wash. You need to get a job there. You need to fill <laughs> your entire day up. You need to fill your entire with jobs. I don't care. Like That's your priority right now. You, you turn that dial down a little and you're like, okay, I want a little bit more financial freedom, right? That's where you start to come in and you're like, well, I need a job to support what my needs and my little wants. I have this dream of some other business opportunities. I can't afford them right now. I can't do this. And so I'm going to pursue them. And, and that's where I am too, right? Like I'm a consultant, I'm dialing down, but like I have this dream of possible mate and, you know, I'm not making much money, um, but it's my dream and I can do it. And my priority is not the financial freedom. So you keep, you know, it's that dial about how important it, something is to you and not. So your process is going to be a little slower. I could say to you, Peter, you should go get four jobs for six months and then maybe we'll help you. Or 
I can say, no, this is important to you. It's going to be slower, but there's no other avenue, right? But I think, I think that's really how I look at it. I, I don't know if it's right or wrong. But <laughs> no, but I, I appreciate it. And there's something to be said about the fact that it's worked well for you. And I think it's something that we've clearly been able to establish in this, this three-episode extravaganza that coming away with some intentionality, some tough love, some hard budgeting, some future-proofing, if you will, of your plans. And I think the biggest takeaway for me, and I hope that's something that other people see from this too, is you don't have to be making six figures to do what you want to do. It certainly couldn't hurt. And in your situation, being able to do that for a year or two has certainly, I'm sure, helped. But it's more important to know what is most important to me, how do I prioritize that, and what role does money play in that? So as we're wrapping up, I wonder if there's anything in particular that you would like to say, any message you would like to get out there or, or big takeaway that you would like people to have from this experience or, or anything else? Yeah, well, well, first off, thanks again for having me on. Uh, it's been a fun, fun little uh, experience. Uh, I'm not used to doing it, but yeah, it's hard. I think it'll be fun. Hopefully in a couple of years, you'll have me back on and I can be like, hey, like I've been successful. Like I struggled and, and I was able to live this way and make it. Now it's, I can't pretend to be like, hey, I'm crushing it. And because I'm not, I think your, your summary was really good there about, you know, finding what's most important to you. And, you know, anyone can do this. And yeah, I, I mean, I think, what it comes down to is I saved a lot of money and invested it and I'm able to have freedom to do what I want. But I'm also going to come to a stage where I'm going to either need to go and, and go back to corporate or try something new. And, you know, everyone struggles. <laughs> like there's no one who can just navigate this complex arena here. And, and it's not like easy going. It was hard to save that money. Every month I was being careful. And how I spent it, even, you know, the choices I made, they weren't easy. Like, it isn't easy for anyone. Even if you, you make mistakes and you struggle with it, don't give up and make sure you, you know what's important to you and focus on that and you'll, you, you'll make it. I so. appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, Tanner. And I think it's uh, safe to say that for you, it has been worth it. I certainly would count you as a success. When I talk to you and I talk to Mari and honestly, all the different people that I've had on this show, I always enjoy hearing the story, getting to know people better. And I think you're an awesome guy, man. I think you're incredibly diligent and hardworking and I love your focus. And Hostelmate has a lot of potential. I'm excited to see what you do with it. But even if it's not Hostelmate, if it's something else, I am going to be the least surprised person when I find out that what you're doing is, is working. And I'm honored to have you on the show alone with Peter. And uh, people know where to find you. If you want to reach out to Tanner or talk with him about Hostelmates or, or anything else, I'm sure you can find him on the, his website. If you want to learn more about where he's traveled, where he's been to, he's done a lot of cool stuff. TennisThenTravel.com is an awesome resource to see what that has been like. And thank you for joining us on Alone with Peter. 